world. It's your past first point guard and trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers for the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making this show your first listen. Coming at you each and every weekday, Monday through Friday. So make it a part of your daily routine. Make your first listen. Tell your friends to do the same. It's Locked On Blazers, your team every day. In today's show, uh, a real smorgasbord, uh, just a, cl- a classic midweek non-game day show. Three fun topics uh, that, that you are going to enjoy, I promise you. Got some statistical trends from Scoot Henderson and DeAndre Ayton. We'll play a little game of you would love to see it. Looking ahead to the Blazers, a final game before the All-Star break against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Want to talk a little bit about the T-Wolves, uh, what they look like as contenders. Um, I have some historical stats on what contenders used to look like, but that trend has been broken recently. And that might be good news if you're a believer in the T-Wolves. And then I talked to Zolano Banton about what it's like to be traded. Uh, and, and, and inspired by a friend of mine, uh, I, I want to talk about what he brought with him and what he brings to the Trail Blazers. That's what we'll do to close the program. But first, let's play a little game. You'd love to see it. Talking about things that you would love to see. Blazers uh, play the second of two games against Minnesota Timberwolves on Thursday evening, their final game before the break, and then the final third of the season roars home after a week off. But the Blazers get to play maybe the best team in the NBA right now. The Celtics are really good and won by 2,000 points tonight. Um, but certainly, you know, team with the best record in the West, the best defensive team in the league, um, a team that just looks great, a team that, um, you know, you know, was dominant against the Blazers in the fourth quarter. And Carl Anthony Towns, who's an all-star this year, multi-time all-star, just like didn't do anything in the game. Didn't do anything because they had got contributions other places. Anthony Simons. I did that on yesterday's show. I'm doing it again. And Edwards and Anthony Edwards is a star. Like he's he's going to be really good. He's not quite there yet, but he's. I have faith in him being very, very good. Um, so, to you know, to hang tough with this team, the Blazers are going to need to get to continued good play from guys who've been playing well recently. And and those are guys two guys who started really slow this season. Scoot Henderson was straight up not good to begin his rookie season. Um he was just bad. He was a bad basketball player in a way that is like believable that that young players can be bad basketball players, but he was undeniably bad. Um I think there was some hope that you know Scoot as a as a, as a guy who played a couple years of pro ball before he made made the NBA even at 19 was going to be more seasoned than he was and I think the the Blazers kind of promised him as such and they certainly believed they started him at point guard on day one. They had high hopes for him, and he just wasn't there. He wasn't good. wasn't good. It's undeniable. He's been pretty good lately. Scoot has kind of figured it out. Uh, Chauncey Billups was asked about it after the last game, and he said, like, the big difference between night one and, you know, here we are at night 50. Scoot's missed some time, so night 47 for him. Like, it, it's... He just knows what's going to happen out there. He has such a better sense of how the game works and the patterns he's going to see and the defenders he's going to see and what they're going to what they're going to want him to do and so what he can get away with and and um, you know where he can kind of spots he can get to and not just have to turbo button it into nowhere. And Scoot Henderson all of a sudden looks like a totally functional player and looks like someone who's the, the graph is pointing up, the arrow is pointing up. He looks like someone who's going to be good. Who's going to be a good basketball player? Uh, if you if you're an everyday listener, you know that I always I I never lost faith but I, I i did like admittedly and i'll say it again here like scoot was bad the thing you could say about him was he was bad i don't think you can say that now he's been solid he's um you know he's there's some efficiency stuff and some decision making stuff that's there and he still kind of fouls a lot but like he is dependable 
by way of the five consecutive games scoring in double figures. 22, 15, 30, 14, 14 his last, uh, his last five games. He had 14 and 9 on Tuesday. I thought he was just straight up good. Like, um, you know, he got to play a whole bunch in the second half, which I, I really like to see. If the game had been close, he would have played in crunch time, which um, I, I would love to see Scoot Henderson play crunch time minutes against a really good team. I think that would be... Um, you know, something that's like valuable for him to see, like when a team really ratchets it up, what can you do? What kind of, what can, can you still make plays? Can you still get to your spots? What, what does it look like? So I I hope we see more of that, but Scoot's undeniably just looked better and it's comfort and it's all of those things. And so something you would love to see, Scoot Henderson score in double figures for a sixth straight game. This is his third such streak to begin his his NBA career when he's had five straight games in in double figures. Double figures is kind of a low bar, right? Like he's a he's a high high volume rookie. Then by that I mean he's getting you know he's he's playing minutes in the twenties and when he's in the game he gets the ball in his hands a lot. Like he gets he's a high usage rookie um, or high time of possession rookie even if you want to go that far. Uh, Like he's. He's getting. He has a big opportunity laid out for him, and it's getting even bigger now with all the injuries on the roster. So, like, while I totally recognize that the bar of five straight games and double figures, I'm not. I'm not saying that that is like this big accomplishment. What I'm saying is this is a chance to do something he's never done: score double figures in six straight games. Continue the continue the graph going up. Just continue to play solid. Continue to be really good. You're you're going to match up against the best defense in the league yet again on Thursday. They just saw you. Can you go out and have another efficient game? He's been shooting better lately. He's really been getting to the free throw line and making his free throws. Um, he's, I believe he's 50 of his last 51 at the stripe. Like he's, um, he's he's been he's been really solid. Um, he's he's probably the best player on the team other than and then Jeremy Grant are getting to the free throw line. He already has that skill. It bodes really well for him moving forward as he continues to sort of hone his craft. Um, Scoot, six straight games in double figures. You would love to see it. The other thing you'd love to see is DeAndre Ayton continue to play well. Um, much like Scoot, DeAndre Ayton was just not good to begin the season. You can add whatever caveat you like. Uh, the Blazers didn't have good pick and roll partners. They didn't have a good, um, Anthony Simons missed 18 games at, you know, 18 of the first 19 games because he got hurt in night one. So they didn't have their best pick and roll player who commands double teams. You can, you know, the Blazers have a weak, weak shooters. So DeAndre Ayton didn't have room to operate all of the caveats you want to throw out there. The truth is that he was having the worst season of his career to begin this season. He was bad. He was struggling maybe because of circumstance and because of coworkers and whatever it was, but he was playing poorly, undeniable. And I think at the beginning of the year, you couldn't question his, his, his motor, right? He's playing hard all the night, all the time. But I think at, at, there was a certain point when DeAndre Ayton got the, the, the lack of offensive, the lack of sort of clarity about how he was going to score in the offense and the, the sort of bad fit with the rest of the team, um, it kind of wore on him and he stopped playing hard. There was, just, there was, it was undeniable. He, there were, there were stretches when you just didn't see, you didn't see DeAndre rev hot enough to be competitive in the league. That that's gone now. Um, you know, he got hurt and missed some time. When he came back, he was he kind of struggled for the first three games. He had, he had a kind of slow, slow sort of ramp up because he just hadn't played basketball in a month, right? Um, and then he he comes back after a month off and um, he missed, you know, struggles those first three games. But over his last nine, he's averaging 19.2 and 11.4 rebounds and shooting 64% from the field. Over his last nine games, he's been he's just been straight up good, undeniably. He's just been straight up good. This is kind of, you know, he's been an 18 and 10 guy in Phoenix. I thought he was going to be a 19 and 11 guy all year long. And he hasn't been. And that's like, that is now behind us. Let it, let us look forward. 1911 is kind of who I thought it would be. He has arrived. 
he's been solid as heck the last two games 18 and 17 against New Orleans 22 and 16 against Minnesota and so the thing you would love to see from DeAndre Ayton is a third straight game with at least 13 rebounds um he's never had a game this this season with uh with or never had a stretch this season where he's he's averaged or he's grabbed at least 13 boards and three straight games um he's had you know he's had stretches where he's had Double-digit reboundings for five straight games. He had a 23-rebound game. He had 12 straight, and uh, you know, in late January, since he came back from injury, since he's been rolling, uh, when he had when he had uh, 17, 12, and 12 in three straight games against Houston, San Antonio, and Chicago. But he has not had three straight games with at least 13 boards. And against Minnesota, if the Blazers are going to be competitive, they need DeAndre Ayton to be active on the glass, particularly on the defensive glass. He's got to keep Rudy Gobert off the defensive glass. He's like that's where Rudy Gobert does so much damage. He doesn't have much else off, much else on offense, but keeping possessions alive and and giving the the Wolves second chances and third chances and multiple opportunities. That's where Rudy can Gobert can like be an be an offensive be a like a really impactful offensive player. And so you need Da to own the defensive glass. Plus, if the Blazers continue with the lineup they played in the first meeting on Tuesday, where Tumani Kamara slots into the starting lineup next to Jeremy Grant in the two forward spots, they are going to need Da to rebound because Jeremy Grant has never been a rebounder in his career. Um, and he's not magically going to become one from Tuesday to Thursday. You know, there's it's like a zero-sum game. Like, if, if DeAndre Ayton gets the rebound, Jeremy Grant can't. DeAndre Ayton had 16 on Tuesday. Jeremy Grant had one. But Grant's not, he's just not a good rebounder. He's not going to be that. The guy who rebounds who was in that starting group was Jabari Walker. But the way the substitutions worked on Tuesday, Grant and Ayton basically played all of their minutes together, and Jabari Walker basically played all of his minutes next to Duop Reef. Um, Chauncey Billups changes the, changes the rotation from game to game a lot. Like, that is very common, so I wouldn't be surprised if it does change. Uh, but if it looks the same, they are really, really, really going to need DeAndre Ayton to rebound because he's playing against a minus rebounder and, and Jeremy Grant, who's been a minus rebounder for a decade in the league. Again, it's not changing in the next, it's not changing over 48 hours. The thing you would love to see is DeAndre Ayton have his first streak this season with 13 plus boards in three straight games. You would love to see it. Uh, that That's our little mini preview of tomorrow's games. Uh, DA and Scoot are, are, have been playing well recently they there was there was a stretch when the blazers were stinky in january uh those two dudes are back in the lineup and regularly playing and the blazers just like look better because of it better and and those guys are a big part of why they have looked better of late um obviously we're grading we're grading on a curve here i'm familiar with the losing streak Let's let's talk about minnesota a little bit more um i got some stats on the last 40 three years of NBA champions um, and what a champion looks like in the league. And do the T-Wolves look like a champion? Let's talk about that in the second segment. But first, I want to tell you about Robin Hood. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from other retirement accounts with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now, 
for some legal info. Claim as of Q2024, validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk, including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of the first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to specific terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC, registered broker dealer. All right. I went back in the history books for this one. I got it for you. I'm going to bring it to you now. The Minnesota Timberwolves are really stinking good. They're really good. The best defense in the league. Um, you know, last year, because of injury and because of the newness of the team, they just didn't click. This year, it's clicking. They figured out how to play with two bigs. Uh, Rudy Gobert is probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Ant Edwards is an ascending star. Carl Anthony Towns is an all-star, although I, for my money, Rudy, Rudy Gobert should be on the team over Cat. But hey, what are you going to do? Um, I, don't, I don't get a vote. That's a coach vote anyways. Um, but like, they're, they're good. They're... Th- Mike Conley steadies them and what and kind of what they need to do. Jalen McDaniels can really, uh, really, really defend. Nikhil Alexander Walker has is an excellent defensive player, and at least on Tuesday night was an incredibly hot shooter. Like the team makes sense and can and has been atop the standings for months. You know what contenders do? They stay atop the standings for months, but for a long time in the NBA. I'm talking 40 years of champions. There was a pretty simple formula to recognize this team as a champ. From 1981 to the Lakers won the championship in 2020. So we're, so we're going back to the Celtics championship in 81. All the way through 40 titles. 40 champions crowned to the 2020 bubble by, by the Lakers. Uh, shout out to A. Disney uh, and LaMickey. But f- for 40 years, there were obvious statistical indicators that meant you were champion looking at basketball rating uh basketball references offensive and defensive rating um if you were top 11 in both offense and defense and top five in one of those categories so top 11 in both top five and one either you know top five offense top five defense but you're the on the other side you didn't you didn't sag below 11 you were a champion for 40 years that was what they looked like for 40 years 35 of the 40 champions met this criteria and the and the ones that 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 skirted it are true 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 outliers the 90 the 1995 rockets that traded for Clyde Drexler and were the fifth seed in the west they weren't they were a different team after the trade deadline they won the championship their defending champs got it rolling the 2001 Lakers who just straight up didn't care about the regular season and then tricked off in the playoffs and lost one game it, you know a dominant defending champ 21st in defense but they were the second best offense all year long the 04 pistons they were the second best defense the chauncey's pistons and and 18th in offense pulled off one of the great upsets in nba history beating the lakers in 2004 the heat in 2006 they're an outlier in this but they were seventh in offense and ninth in defense they're right on the edge they're two they're top 10 in both the 2011 mavericks again a team that pulled off one of the all-time great upsets beating the heatles lebron james Dwayne wade and chris bosh they were eighth in offense and eighth in defense they were top 10 in both so so really the true outliers that were like are, are the 04 pistons that were below average offense and the 04 uh, and then the 01 lakers that were a bottom third defense but um you have shack and then you beat shack a true outlier in 04 um like th- these Five times in 35 years, teams that didn't meet the criteria won the championship. The other 35 times, top 11 on, on both, top five and one. 
You had to be you had to be an elite offensive or defensive team, and you had to be a really darn good on the other side of the ball. That was what champions looked like for 40 freaking years. It's just not like that anymore. <laughs> These numbers don't hold up. To wit, uh, in 2021, the Bucks, you know, they were really good. Sixth in offense, 10th in defense, but they didn't, that, that does, that's not the criteria. That's close enough to say, hey, that's what a champion looks like. But in 2022, the Warriors were 17th in offense, a below average offense, but the top defense in the league. That's an outlier by by the 40 years of statistical standards. Um, Steph Curry was great. This is a championship team, you know, at the end of maybe the end of its championship window, but like they won the title. Um, they were great all year on defense, but they were below average offensive team during the regular season. And then in 2023, the Nuggets were fifth on offense. They were great. Um, and they were much better in defense on defense in the second half of the season, but they finished the year overall 16th on defense, a slightly below average defensive team. That means... After 40 years of this basically always being the case, five outliers in 40 years from 1981 to 2020, three straight champions have bucked this trend. Three straight champions have said, yeah, I mean, if you just really, you know, if you just have one of the best players in the world, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, you can win the championship. You st- they're still like elite teams, like the Nuggets are the fifth best offense. And again, they were better on defense in the second half of the year. They, they struggled early and then they got, they kind of figured it out. The Warriors, uh, you know, championship medal, and again, an elite top best defensive team in the league. And, and the Bucks sixth on offense, 10th on defense. They're just on the edge of this, like, admittedly arbitrary criteria, but criteria that holds up for 40 years of standards. So that brings us to Minnesota, who's really, really, really good. I think they're really good, but but Vegas and the good people at FanDuel, who, who are the official betting, official betting partner of this network, um, like they don't like Minnesota. Plus 2,500 to win the championship, longer odds than New York Knicks, which says a lot about sort of the Knicks uh, betting market than it does about the Timberwolves, at least the way I read it. But the T-Wolves are the best defensive team in the league. 17th on offense, which is the exact O O and D rating that the 2022 Warriors had. The T-Wolves don't have Steph. I think Anthony Edwards is going to be awesome. I think Ant is, 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 uh, he's like, he's just fun. Like, and he was so good on Tuesday night. He's incredible. Um, Best player in the court by a mile. But like, they don't have that A1 star. But before where I would have dismissed them and said they're not good enough on offense to win the championship because 40 years of data says you need to be better. I'm not, I will not rule them out. They have been on top of the standings for too long and they're playing too well right now for me to look at them and say, no, they're not good enough. Um, The teams that are really, really, really championship inner circle though, just looking at the numbers, the Celtics and the Thunder. The Celtics are first in offense, third in defense. The Thunder are fourth in offense and sixth in defense. That's what championship teams look like. Um, I would say I would say keep an eye on the New York Knicks, eight and eight. Um, and if they get healthy, they're I again I don't think they have that a one star to win a championship, but they're that's a really good basketball team. The Clippers are right on the cusp. They're third in offense and twelfth in defense. That's a championship team. Like that's that is the that is the statistical makeup of a team that wins a championship. Curiously, the Denver Nuggets, who I just I just watched lose prior to recording this game, just watching them lose to the Kings. Um, 12th on offense, 11th on defense. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you right now. If Denver's healthy, I'm not picking against them in the playoffs. Their starting lineup is too makes too much sense and their depth concerns that come up in the regular season are just not going to show up if they're healthy in the playoffs cuz you can lean into your best players more. I wouldn't pick against them in the West cuz I I don't I don't know that the Clippers can beat them. But I know the T-Wolves have played them tough and 
I know that Minnesota, I, I will say, 2021, Mike, maybe even 2022, Mike, would have dismissed the T-Wolves outright. It's like, this is not what a championship team looks like. They're really good. This is a regular season juggernaut, but not a champion. 40 years of data is going down the drain because the the nature of the sport is changing a little bit and the nature of the regular season is changing a little bit after 40 years of this being a tried and true test, a tried and true formula to pick a champion. I don't think the Wolves will win the title, but you can't dismiss them. And the way they're playing right now, I, I think they are good enough to be there. Um, it wouldn't, it would, I would be surprised. Like I, I think that for me, the Clippers and the Thunder are the, the clear favorites in terms of uh, overall talent. But OKC's undeniably good, and Minnesota's just been on top for too long to dismiss them as well. The top four in the West are really good and should be a fun uh, playoff run. And I can't wait until we can talk about the Portland Trailblazers playing high-level basketball against really good teams. I miss it. One day, 2026, join me in for the 26-27 season right here on the podcast. Uh, if if I'm still doing this, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Okay. Uh, not to brag, but I did a little journalism on Tuesday night. I talked to Delano Banson, and I asked him a question inspired by my friend uh, Katie Heindel about not what he brings to the basketball team, but what he brought with him to join the basketball team. I want to talk about what it's like to get traded in the NBA because the human element of it is fascinating to me. And Delano shared his his sort of story of what it was like to find out you're joining a new team suddenly day of. Uh, join me in the third segment and I will I will share a, a, an interesting story on the human element of the trade deadline. But first, let's talk Hungry Root. They... They want you to eat good food. It's your partner in healthy living. It's the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered right to your door. Here's how it works. You take a fun quiz, super quick. They'll get to know your personal health goals, what you like to eat, what kitchen appliances you use, and more. And then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to good use. Hungry Root's going to recommend recipes and groceries based on your personal taste, but each and every order is fully customizable. Take their suggestions or just choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, pantry staples, healthy snacks, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, and so much more. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's got to taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole, trusted ingredients. Save hours planning, shopping, and cooking with Hungry Root. They deliver food you love. And right now, Hungry Root is offering my listeners at Locked On Blazers 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash LockedOn to get 40% off your first delivery and your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash LockedOn. Don't forget to use that link so they know we sent you. All right. Still pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Just don't listen to Lockdown Blazers. I want to tell you a story. Uh, I am pretty, pretty, uh, I, I think if you're a long-time listener, you probably heard me tell talk about this in the past, but I, I am fascinated with the strange human element of the trade deadline. Um, I work a, like a day job where I sit in front of a computer, right, with Excel open. I'm a... I'm crunching, crunching spreadsheets. Uh, but and like, I just think about if there was a trade deadline and there was a day each year where they're like, "Hey, Michael, great news! You've been traded to Atlanta." 
pick up and leave. You need to be there tomorrow. Uh, like we'll we'll help you book a flight. Go 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 go. And and um you know and maybe I could say. Well, I would like to be traded to the Phoenix office or the, or, you know, or the, or the Denver office. Well, sorry, buddy. That's not how it works. You're heading to the Charlotte office. Like, um, it is a strange world of professional sports, right? And I don't mean for you to feel sorry for these people. They make millions of dollars. They're playing sports, yada, 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 right? But there is a strange, undeniable human element to how strange the deadline is. And I was inspired to think about this by my friend, Katie Heindel, who's been a guest on this podcast a handful of times and is maybe the best basketball writer in the world. Um, she rocks. She's writing a book, Basketball Feelings, and nobody writes and thinks about basketball like her. And so she makes me think about basketball differently. Um, I was lucky enough to write something for her newsletter about Damian Lillard's return to the Blazers. So go check out Basketball Feelings. But, but what she wrote is... Um, not what, you know, the way we talk about trades are what we, what players bring. So Delano Banton, when he arrives to the Blazers, to the trade deadline, he brings ball handling in a six foot seven frame, a guy who can get downhill and get, um, get to the rim, uh, a guy who, who's a, a, a playmaker, someone who brings a, enough hustle to be a pest on defense. And this like thin framed guard who can play up a couple spots because he happens to be big. He is what he brings is an element that the Blazers didn't have, which is another ball-handling, playmaking wing. That's what he brings. But what Katie wrote about and what inspired me is, what do they bring with? What do players bring with them? Because it happens fast. So let me take you to behind, not behind the scenes, but let me let me set the scene for you for what it's like for Delano Banton to leave his his leave Boston. And end up here on your Portland Trailblazers, where he has been undeniably pretty fun in his first two games in town. Uh, the the Celtics were home uh, over over the trade deadline. They played the Wednesday before the trade deadline. Played the Friday after, so they did not have a game that day. They had an off day in between two games. So Delano Banton was just sitting at his apartment. He is a player on a one year contract with a non guaranteed second season. He doesn't own a home. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't have pets. He's at his house and his phone rings on deadline day. Not super early in the morning, but, uh, you know, it, but the morning of deadline day, uh, because it happens at 3 p.m. Boston time. And he, he gets a call from Brad Stevens and, and Brad Stevens runs Celtics says, Delano, thank you for your services. We're trading you to Portland. And, and, and Delano says, Brad Stevens is my guy. Like he gave me this opportunity. He gave me a chance. And I'm really, you know, I'm thankful that he was the one who called me, right? The next person who calls him, the next person who, who rings his phone, it's Joe Cronin. What's up, man? It's Joe. Welcome to welcome welcome to Portland. We're ha- we're excited to have you. Get out here soon. So, Delano Banton hustles, hustles. You got to get out there quickly. But he, unlike maybe when other players get traded, doesn't have private jet money. He's flying a commercial airline. He flies a, a plane with a connection. And gets to Portland, you know, in the in the, the, the afternoon on the following day. And he's got to go. So he brings one bag with him. He doesn't have time to pack up all his stuff in his apartment. He doesn't have time to, uh, you know, to, to get his family members and friends over to, to sort of get him ready to, tra- to move. He packs the stuff that he can carry in one carry-on bag, gets on a flight with a connection, cross-country, and flies to Portland on Friday for the introduction. So when I asked him, what did you bring with him? He said, 
one bag. Are you asking what my luggage looks like? No, I don't care what the bag looks like. But I am fascinated by what you bring and what you leave behind. For Delano Banton, it was everything that doesn't fit in a backpack or a like a duffel bag. He brought himself a carry-on. He got on the plane and he headed to his new job. Arrives Friday, does the passes of physical and goes through sort of the, um, you know, he, you you like take some press photos and kind of get, you know, just do yours like onboarding because you work for, you're now working for this new company, right? Um, on Saturday morning, the Blazers hold a shoot around at their practice facility. On game days, the Blazers hold shoot arounds out there at, out in the practice facility. Goes through shoot around. He doesn't know any of the plays. He said he went through a handful of them and that he felt like if they had asked him to go back through them right when they ran them on Saturday morning, that he knew the plays. Sure did. But by the time he got into the game on Saturday evening, he realized that maybe he didn't know them as sharply as he thought he might. And there were moments against the Pelicans on Saturday where he was like, I am in the wrong spot and I don't know where the right spot is. And he was felt himself processing it and getting confused in real time and having to ask questions. And where do I go here? What's, you know, what is, what is this, what is this call and those things? He, he played pretty well in that game. Like he, he showed us, he showed that he can be effective. He wasn't this, like he didn't blow the doors off or anything, but like he, it's, uh, when I was talking to him, it's just like at a certain, and I, I asked like at a certain point, you're just playing basketball. He totally agreed. You may or may not know the plays, but you can hoop. You've been doing it a long time from, uh, from Western Kentucky to the, to Nebraska. He's been, he's been out there. So like some of it is easy. Some of it is truly baffling. I don't know what we're supposed to be doing, but I know how to, I know what to do. If like, if the, if everything else breaks down, I like know how to play the sport plays a game. So he's been in town for, you know, basically 24 hours, a little more than that, maybe 30 hours when the game tips off against, against the Pelicans on Saturday night, the Blazers practice twice. They practice Sunday and Monday. Um, hilariously, Banton was a little bit resistant to, to when I was like, you, you practiced through, you went to through two practices, right? He's like, I don't know what I'm allowed to tell you. And Jeremy Grant was sitting next to him and I was like, JG, did you practice twice? He's like, yeah, two practices right after the game. Delano, it's okay. You could share the truth that yes, you did practice. Um, but and, and the practices were what he described as a spirited gym, like where they really were able to get after it and play. They had a, an, a, for a stretch of the season where they played, I believe, three times in nine days. So they 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 had a rare chance um, to like actually practice, actually actually get games in, actually like, hmm, let's you know let's. Let's get out on the court. Let's run around. Let's like learn stuff with with the players we have and make sure we're going through things. And the NBA schedule doesn't really afford you a lot of opportunities to practice. And with the Blazers' health situation, you really don't want to practice too much and have someone like roll an ankle. Um, like you kind of just the guys who need it need to get out there. The guys who don't need it, you kind of don't want them out there. But Banton needed it, and he said he felt much more comfortable after two practices with where he is. Practices twice comfort level and what the calls are, what the playbook is, where he's supposed to defensive assignments. And you could see it um, in, in his second game uh, when, when the Blazers played Minnesota. Like he just looked more comfortable. There was even a play uh, where he was like directing traffic on defense a little bit where he understands what they're supposed to do, or at least he's comfortable enough telling other people where to go, whereas game one, he wouldn't have been. That's basketball stuff. So what do you bring with you? What's in the suitcase? Not enough clothes. Delano Banton talked to me wearing Rip City sweats, right? Team-issued matching sweatpants and, and sweatshirt. Told me that's what he's going to be wearing the rest of the year. B 
because that's what he's going to get is team issued sweatsuits, team issued clothes. That's what he's got because he brought a bag with him. I said, are you going to go shopping? No. Are you going to, when are you going to ship all your stuff out there? He said, he doesn't, he, you don't have time to think about that. That's not what the NBA and his spot in the NBA allows for. He is a survivalist in the league. He is someone who is trying to make it, trying to get a guaranteed contract, trying to get a spot, trying to keep his position in the league. He doesn't have time to call home and tell his friends or his people, hey, can you go to my apartment and ship me all this stuff? He doesn't have time. He doesn't want to go shopping when he's on the road and, and load up stuff. He's living in, in out of a hotel room while he's here, right? Like he's... Um, you're not going to you're not going to start renting a place necessarily while you're only when you might only be in Portland for a little bit and if you find out you are going to be in Portland a little bit then you start to find some permanence it is a a strangely impermanent situation where you travel with one carry-on bag so if you see Delano Banton walking into games on social media or you happen to to see him out in the world you're going to see him wearing sweats you're going to see him wearing the team sweats because it is a whirlwind to get traded He's been pretty good, but the strangeness of pack one bag and go happened to him. And from Thursday morning, sitting in his apartment in Boston, to Saturday playing a game for the Portland Trailblazers, the fourth team he's played on in four seasons, or excuse me, in three seasons, it is a whirlwind of of an experience. And and I asked him kind of about, you know, not shopping and not having clothes and just kind of wearing what the team's got for you. He said, that's my focus. My focus is we have two months left in the regular season. I'm going to play those two months. I'm willing to wager that Delano Benson will try to figure it out a little bit during the All-Star break. Hopefully he'll get a chance to go back and get some essentials or send someone to get some essentials from him from his apartment in Boston. But if he doesn't, and he's rocking sweats and just pushing forward, it's because he knows the most important thing he can do for the Blazers during his time off is get familiar and be effective. Because when you are someone like him... The being able to be useful is more important than dressing well. That is going to do it for today's show. Tomorrow's show, the final game for the All-Star break. Blazers play the Minnesota Timberwolves on Thursday evening. So Friday show, recapping the game and then looking ahead to all the fun stuff at uh, All-Star Weekend where Scoot Anderson will represent the Trailblazers in the Rising Stars game. We'll have five more shows for you next week. Uh, got some fun stuff planned for the all-star break that's what we do five days a week wherever you get podcasts and also on youtube tell your friends about the program i appreciate you listening i'll talk to you soon